Welcome to the Ethos Forum podcast, an exploration of leadership in higher education and research. I'm your host, Mark Douglas. You're listening to the second of three podcasts with Professor Peter Klintken, Chief Scientist of Western Australia. I begin this episode with a question about how potential leaders should position themselves for a leadership role. If you could imagine a young researcher now beginning to see that they've been identified to take on a leadership role and they begin to think, oh, I'd like to see myself in some sort of leadership role within a university. Should they just sit and wait for opportunities to be tapped on the shoulder as you described? Or are there some things that they can do to position themselves somehow so that they seem to be a person more influential than others? That's a really good question. I think for people then to go away and reflect and say, okay, I have got these qualities. I know I can see that in myself. So yes, I've got some of the characteristics needed to be a leader. There are other things that I'm not so good at. Perhaps communication might be one of those. I communicate really well in a small team, but I don't like communicating to a large group or whatever. I think those opportunities to explore leadership are really, really useful. And I'd I'd encourage young research, they see themselves heading that direction, to avail themselves of the opportunities. So you'd encourage these people to be self-reflective, not just on their strengths, but also some of their weaknesses to be uh, more insightful and to seek professional development in some of these areas as well. Absolutely. You know, we've all got our strengths and weaknesses and the issues really revolve around how play to our strengths as best as possible how we manage to overcome things that we're not so good at. And if you pretend that they don't exist, well, then you're just fooling yourself. You know, I I think it's much better to be more open and honest with yourself and have a sense of self-awareness to see, well, these are things that I do well. Here are some of the things I don't do well. What can I do about them? And if there are some things that beyond you, well, then accept that and say, this is who I am. Take me for what I am. But if there are things that you can actually improve on, well, why wouldn't you? So be proactive at developing yourself as you move into uh, more leadership positions. Yes, and, and if someone was to come along and say, would you consider doing such and such, if you're genuinely interested in pursuing leadership, take the opportunity. Go for it. Give it a crack. It might be a bit of a risk because you're going to be taking on more work. There's no question about that. But it also gives you the opportunity to bring along a whole group of other people that you possibly wouldn't have had the opportunity to do previously. Mm, that's interesting. When you became head of department in your mid-career, were you advised by some not to do this because it might negatively impact oh, yeah. your time Absolutely. for your research? Absolutely. Well, you know, there were any number of people who said, well, this is going to kill your research career. And to an extent, they were right. It's really hard to maintain cutting-edge research lab when you're not full-time at it. And if you've got other responsibilities, clearly that's going to be a distraction of your time and your energy. But having said that, what you manage to do is to bring along a whole lot of other people and to, dare I say, be a bit more altruistic and help them with their careers so that overall the department or the institute or the organisation benefits much more greatly than just your own research lab. So is this spirit of generosity then key factor in a research leader so it gets to some of that issue that you're speaking about focusing on others not just yourself you've just hit the nail right on the head once again mark i can remember talking to gus nossel when he was the director of the walter and eliza hall institute 
and we were having a chat about leaders and directors around the country. And he said the one quality he looked for in the leaders of medical research institutes was generosity of spirit. The preparedness of an individual to sacrifice their own career to an extent so that others could flourish underneath them. We talk about people management. The whole infrastructure of being in research, when I mean infrastructure, I mean the environment of winning grants or not, is not a very friendly place for a long-term career sometimes. We find a lot of people on what we call soft money with short-term contracts. Even if you as a leader operate with a spirit of generosity and are a people person, you're still managing people that have difficulty maintaining a, a career with any certainty. It must have been tough for you to do that at some stage if you feel for the people that you lead. That is just so true. And in academia and research, a lot of people that you have working with you are on soft money. And so it's a challenge to try to find sufficient funding from grants to do that. So that's part of the reason why I tried to make sure we had other sources of income. And philanthropy was a really important part of you know, the West Australian Institute for Medical Research, now the Harry Perkins Institute. We built a couple of companies, fun art companies, that uh, then were able to generate funds that came back into research. And so with those extra funds, you were able to ride out some of the, the turbulences that happen you know, through the granting system where it's becoming increasingly difficult to secure ongoing funding, unbelievably competitive, and there are going to be downtimes. And so if you could find sufficient funds to assist people to get through some of the tough times, it made it easier for the organisation to maintain continuity and you kept talented people. So that means really that strategically having a diverse income stream was very important not to rely on these competitive grants, but have them as just a component of the income stream to provide a safety net for good researchers to stay with you if they fail to miss out on a grant at a particular time. So true, Mark, so true. Look, at the end, I think we got to a mix of almost a third, a third, a third. A third of our income was coming through competitive grants, a third through philanthropy, and about a third from uh, companies that we spun out. And so it just provided you, you know, dare I say it, with a portfolio of income. So you weren't entirely reliant on, you know, a good year with the NHMRC or, you know, or the AIC and so on. So could ride out those bumps. It also gave us some opportunities to recruit new talented people in. And at the end of the day, excellence is what matters. You get talented people, they come up with bright ideas and they can build teams underneath them. So one third research grants, one third philanthropy and one third industry engagement. Industry engagement slash spin out companies that we income from. So that, uh, that model, would you say, was a, a good model that to strategically aspire to for research institutes and research centres at this time? Uh, that's true. Look, it worked for us because, you know, there are people who are very passionate about particular diseases. They fundraise for them and, and they want health. But there are philanthropists who will support environmental causes. There will be philanthropists who will support all sorts of different things. And it, it's really important that you that people explore those options and don't just say, oh, well, it's all too hard. You know, I've never gone out and tried to raise money. And you know what? Nor had I. I'd never done that. But I just saw it as so important to, one, have the viability of the organisation maintained, but also to try and grow it. 
So this is another example of building the skill base of a research leader, once again, outwardly facing role to develop relationships in order to raise money that would have probably been an anathema to you 20 years before you had this role to think that you might be raising money, but it became something that was a necessary part of the role. Absolutely so true, Mark, because when you're a young Turk and you're coming through, all you can think of is getting the next grant, ploughing on and getting the next publication and so on. Certainly as I rose up, I needed to provide security and support for people who were then working within the organisation that I was running. And for them to be successful, they needed facilities, they needed money for new laboratories, equipment, technology. They can't be successful if those aren't in place. And by and large, most researchers aren't in a position to be spending an inordinate amount of time trying to get the latest in mass spectrometry or whatever. It requires someone at a higher level to go out, secure those funds and to provide the infrastructure that allows the bright young people to come in and apply their trade. Well, that concludes part two of this conversation with Professor Peter Clinton, Chief Scientist of Western Australia. Later in this series, we will hear again from Peter Clinton when he discusses his view on the necessity to build entrepreneurial skills into many PhD programs and the professional development of early career researchers. Mm -hmm.